Hi, this is uh, Richard Archer, um, and today I'm with Nick Rutherford. Um, I've known Nick for a while, and we've been talking over the last you know, few months around you know, the utility sector, but also specifically data and how that engages with the customer. Um, within utilities, I've been working quite you know, significantly with you know, a number of CIOs and product program directors who are driving you know, quite critical you know, data and customer-led programs. And it's something that's you know, an ongoing challenge in the utilities. So that was the idea of the podcast. And both my Nick and Nick and myself are very passionate about the sector. So um, today we're going to be talking everything around data and customer experience. And luckily for me, I've known Nick for a while and he has been you know, managing a number of critical programs in a number of guises across the water sector. So before we kick start, I thought it'd be worthwhile, you know, Nick introducing himself and then we can sort of move on and you know, talk through a number of you know, themes geared around customer data. So Nick, over to you. Yeah, Richard, hi, thanks, and uh, thanks for having me on, on your podcast. I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Um, I guess for those that don't know me then, so Nick Rutherford, uh, I've been in the sector now for around nine or ten years in terms of utilities. Prior to that, I worked in uh, lean Japanese automotive, so I used to work at the Honda car factory in Swindon. Um, mm. spent about 18 years working there, all, all in IT and technology change, moving around operational teams and infrastructure and and projects and programs but it was quite quite a shock actually because I, I left there and, uh, and then moved into utilities that wasn't really planned it's just really what came up at that particular point in time but it felt like a move from a lean slick organization into the sleepy world of a water utility and it felt very very different but to be honest with you I really enjoyed it from from the off and the people were great the organization was great and you know Worked work, work for them for a number of years, um, and then since then, kind of like 2018, 2019, I got a bit more involved in the Bristol technology scene. So I helped co-found the Bristol Technology Festival, which is a mm -hmm. week-long event looking at all sorts of events, running all sorts of events around technology um, and their impact within this region. I also run my own technology showcase event, which is forward-thinking about uh, you know, tomorrow's world of, of technology, technological capabilities. Um, and for the last two and a half years, uh, I've been working for another client, also in the water sector, uh, but in the retail sector, so Castle Water, helping them with some technology investments and strategies around, you know, driving improvements within their organisation. Cool, brilliant. And, and now of interest, Nick, I know we've known each other for a while, but what do you think has kept you engaged and gainfully employed in the utility sector? Why do you enjoy it so much? Well, it's quite a big change, right? When you go from, like, when you work in a single status company like uh, like Honda, you know, everyone wears the same jacket and the same suit, they all park in the same car park, they all work in the, uh, sit in the same canteen, and you can't work out one person from another in terms of hierarchy. Yeah, the culture is very different from what I've seen in the utility sector. And you think, so I've coined a phrase, right, behind the tap. And you think what, you know, it looks very simple, just bringing water out of the tap. But when you actually look beyond, beyond that, it's incredibly complicated. There really is a lot of things in the water can be that maybe you just take for granted um, that have to be done to make sure that you get that clean supply coming out of your tap. And you can have your bath and you can have your shower. You can have a cup of coffee and you can have your tea. Um, but it's but it's pretty complicated. But it's also it's really interesting. 
some of these organisations, Richard, have been here for, you know, in the UK, I don't know, a couple of hundred years. I think my local water supply or our local water supply mm. is the second or third oldest oldest business, I think, in, in Bristol. Mm. So, and they've got a whole legacy of challenges based on their longevity and how long they've been within the region. Um, and particularly now that we're in this digital age, all this technological activity and advancement, they've got some some significant challenges bringing them forward and making the making the most of those of those capabilities. So, now they deal with customers. We, we recognise that, and they deal with a massive asset infrastructure that goes across all the roads and fields and reservoirs, etc. There's lots of things and considerations about water quality. Just making sure that you can drink wholesome, safe water. And, you know, there's a lot of controls and regulation around that. They deal with businesses as well as domestic customers. Obviously, uh, regulators have a firm footprint in terms of what a company can and, and maybe cannot do. And social impacts. You know, social impacts become much more of a, a key target and awareness piece now for organisations in the last well, certainly in, in, in the more recent years. So there's a whole there's a whole set of challenges and complexities that sits like sits behind that tap, and uh, it's very interesting in terms of how far they've got to go, how far they've come. Already, I've seen you know some pretty significant changes. I think in terms of water companies in the nine or ten years that I've been in the sector, and I think that's really positive. But clearly, there's still still quite a long way to go. Absolutely. And and I think one of the things I've noticed over the years is that, you know, programme leaders and CIOs, they're continuously talking about data, digital, technology, cloud, on-prem, off-prem. Why do you think there's more emphasis that people like yourself, CIOs, programme leaders are putting an emphasis on this within the utility sector? So I think I think just a few things, right? So more and more companies, water companies, we're talking about water now, and, and I guess energy is no different, even mm. new, but becoming ever more visible, ever more political. Mm. Just think about issues that we've seen this year on the news around discharges and all that waste going into seas and oceans and school holidays. And, and then two days later, you can see a burst main, right, flooding the streets of certain cities. And that that doesn't resonate well with people, and, and, and quite rightly so. So there's there's a lot of visibility. There's a lot of um, political pressure, I think, on on companies. Uh, there's clearly a viewpoint, I think, around shareholdings and profits, and whether that's particularly right given the nature of the product that's coming out of the tap. It's an essential service. Um, companies, sorry, customers want they want value for money. I mean, I've, I've moved, I'm sure, look, Richard, you've moved as well, right? So yes, I, yeah, absolutely. I've moved from one location with a one water supply to another water supply, and I was, I was quite surprised, actually, how different the bill was. It's still, like, one person or four people in the household, but you move from one region to another, and it's quite a surprise at how much the bill can change from one geographic location to another. And when you look at, I guess, other parts of the UK, I mean, I think Ireland and Scotland... You don't pay for your water bill in the same way that you do within England. It's, mm. it's wrapped into your council tax or your, your local property tax, whatever it may be. So people want to see value for money. You know, there's always the pressure to reduce that cost to serve. 
to make these essential services as affordable as possible, even more so now. I mean, everything been on the news for the last few weeks, even, even more so now with the energy, you know, the energy issues. And I think all those things are driving ambition to make organizations more efficient, mm. to make to make organizations more intelligent, you know, digitally intelligent. They've got these enormous asset infrastructures and networks and they've got to be replaced. It costs a fortune. You know, you're talking millions and millions and probably nationally billions of pounds worth of reinvestment and that's got to come from somewhere someone's got to pay for it and ultimately it's going to come from customer bills but you've got to keep the customer bills down but you've got to manage the risk so which ones are you going to invest in well maybe you need some intelligence to help you make that calculation more effectively where are you seeing more bursts in the network where are you seeing more leakage in the network where's the where's the significant risk what's not been replaced for the last 20 50 100 years etc so going to manage that risk there's clearly um a bigger footprint again in terms of that social responsibility making sure that everyone's got access to the water services and they're not turning the tap off for anybody um i mean the questions around why the caos and program leads etc push that investment into digital, into data, into technology and data, then, you know, there's some of the reasons. The push to reduce and make it more cost-effective to get your water is never going to give up. It will always be there. These are monopolized organizations that own, you know, a defined number of customers. They've got a responsibility to those customers. So it's not like they're competing at the moment. Not competing, it's different for business customers, obviously, because we've got the retail market that opened in, in 2017. But for domestic, there's no real competition. It's just about showing that consumers, customers are getting value for money. They're not paying more than they should do. And organizations are taking responsibility for managing their asset infrastructures. Um, and they're not going to do it without the abilities of intelligent systems, mm. good data good technologies because even at the customer lens richard you can have a you know you, you blow your asset infrastructure you get a burst or whatever and that actually is going to affect 1000 5000 10000 20000 customers so from a water company perspective they have to look across the whole piece it's not just about that you know that digital front end that you see on the website in terms of serving a customer with how you pay your bill and can report a problem there's lots of other things that are driving technology and data behind the scenes in a traditional water company. So if we were sitting here in, let's say, 10 or 15 years, what, what do you think are the things that CIOs, program directors like yourself will be working on, you know, when it comes to data technology and how that impacts customer experience? 10 or 15 years. Well, <laughs> I seem to be timid by then, but <laughs> 10, 10 or fifteen years away. I mean, that's quite a big that's quite a big jump. Mm. To, to be fair, and that there no doubt will be a great deal of technology improvement and capability changes in that in that time frame. If you read some of the books and you read about, well, even you've seen it. I mean, you've seen it firsthand yourselves. You think about how contact centre centres have been either augmented or fully automated in, in, in the last five to 10 years, you know, there's a lot more capabilities going to come through that can help in some ways 
operate certain services within all the, within these organizations and they're just going to advance even further so there'll be some great technologies there that companies can adopt to further improve the efficiency to further put intelligence on some of these on some of these networks etc yeah um not everyone might not every organization might not want to do that i mean people still like the human touch still yeah like that warm voice i've worked for organizations where actually they've They've resisted a little bit going down the technology route because they wanted to maintain that warm voice because customers like to speak to, uh, speak to someone. Um, and some customers are only comfortable actually on a phone. They're not so comfortable on a live chat or a web chat or a virtual agent kind of capability. Certainly, my mum wouldn't be. She'd want to pick up the phone, right, and talk to someone. <laughs> As an example, she's in that, in that demographic that would like to, to speak to an agent instead. But I guess, you know, 15 years is a long time. There'll be a lot of assets changing in that period of time to think about some of the asset infrastructures. Mm. Smart as a technology, certainly within energy utilities, has been around a long, long time, and it's now becoming rolled out a lot more within the water sector. Mm -hmm. But enabling some kind of smart capability on, on our networks is a really, really important piece. So... I'd like to think there'll be a much more intelligent set of networks across the UK, maybe dig fully digitizing those, having a digital twin of some of those mm -hmm. networks that you can see all of the network and control that remotely and, and operate it in a very different way to what you do today. Um, but it's going to take a lot of investment and it's going to take time to, to do that. Absolutely. And, and from your experience, because a lot of the programs that you run are pretty, are pretty business critical, you know, effectively. There's a lot of investment in the programs that you deliver. So broadly speaking, what, what do you think are the things you need to do to drive a successful technology and data program, you know, within the utility sector? What, what's your view on that? Uh, importance for success, well, I think it's difficult nowadays to turn away from investment. Mm. I mean, I guess the utility sector has really gone like following the Amazon route, very much online services and capabilities and, and following that, that blueprint in terms of maybe what, what they have done as an organization and they are allowing their own customers to be served in that way. So, but if they don't do anything, then, then what are they going to do? Then they're not going to have the same abilities to serve their customers like others will do in different regions. And, and certainly if they're in a retail competitive market, Richard, you know, retail energy or retail water, then they're going to lose. They're going to lose customers. So I think it's very difficult not to invest. It's just knowing what to what to invest in and and setting that strategy. But you need you need to have that vision. Mm. Someone in the organisation's got to have that vision about where they want to go digitally. Um, and actually, going to have to have a budget, all right, and commit spend. But you've got to be a bit brave. Mm. You've got to be a bit brave on these things and. It's not. It's not also. It's not just about, in my mind, the technology and the data. I, I think it's a bit more than that. And the one component part that's really missing for me is, it's about people as well. Mm. Because you can have the best technologies and you can have some brilliant data, but if you're not too sure what to do with it and how you can really apply that effectively, then you're not going to get very far. So the technology is not going to create your vision. The data is probably not going to create your vision. That's going to come down to the individuals about where they where they want to go, how far they want to push their organization, what kind of services they want to provide, 
and then they can go and probably go and find the technologies. There's loads of them out there. Mm. The world's, you know, world's full of Amazons and Microsofts and ServiceNows and all these different uh, technological capabilities. So I don't think technology really is going to be the blocker. I think it's more around people's appetite for change, what they want to achieve, how quickly they want to achieve even. And yeah, be a bit brave. Mm. And, and also of interest, you mentioned, I, I quite, the word brave is, is an interesting one because I, I often, when I think about when I'm managing my own team, I'm, I'm talking to them about seeking discomfort and actually being brave yeah. and doing things that, you know, challenge you, but also challenge your perception of the art of the possible. Alvin, how have you been brave when it comes to delivering, you know, technology programs? You know, what does that mean for you in practical terms? So... Look, you, you may push yourself out of a comfort zone and you may push yourself into an area that maybe you haven't explored before on a personal basis or mm. you may try and do something that an organisation hasn't tried to do before and it, there may be some fear that it might fail or it might not succeed quite as well as, as you wanted it to but but you've got to believe in it first of all mm. I mean you've, you've got to believe in it as an individual or as a, as a management team that you can make that difference and I guess you need to understand somewhat around the tools that are available to you to get to that endpoint. So maybe, you know, really understand what the technological options are and what access information you've got that could maybe drive a certain outcome that you're looking for. But you just got to push yourself forward. Mm. So that's certainly what I've tried to do. I, I mean, when I do my, my projects and deliveries and work with certain clients, then we don't always know what the endpoint's going to be. We, we know what we want to achieve. Sorry, we kind of know what the endpoint's going to be. Right? Mm. We know what we want to achieve, but we may not always know exactly how we're going to get there. Mm. So, but you've got to drive through that. That's for me. That's the fun bit. Yeah. All right. So you want to get to the foot. It's like the football season. You want to get to the end of the football season. You want to be top of the league or top four. <laughs> how you're going to get there is going to be pretty difficult. But it's a great journey to go on, right? It's a great challenge and working with a team, working with an executive team and the operational teams to get to that point. And it, for me, that's the best bit. And if you were, an out of interest, if you were listening, if people were listening to this chat and were, for example, thinking, you know, we've got programs that we've hit roadblocks and we believe in the technology, but it's the influencing isn't there. You know, what, what tips or advice would you give to you know, aspirational program leaders or program directors who are having challenges with that influencing piece? Are there any like, particular lessons learned that you can share around driving influence to help mobilise and drive programs forward? So I guess one example that I'd give you is, and I've probably seen it a couple of times now, where... You're doing a piece of work and you're looking at potential options that are going to satisfy whatever that needs going to be so maybe that is a customer contact solution or maybe it's an asset management whatever it may be so you know you're going through maybe a procurement cycle and you've got these different stakeholders that you need to engage with and they've all got their own respective parts of the business that they're really passionate about and they want to see that moving forward 
they they should complement each other typically and i think from my experience they typically do but it's very diff it, it can be very difficult right when you're going through that process and you're working with certain third parties that you believe in they want and you want to see them delivering something into your organization but they don't always get a great deal of time to really convey all of the strengths and weaknesses or maybe more about strengths and the weaknesses to be fair around what their product can do and how it can be the perfect match for your for your team and people don't always pick up on everything that may be articulated in some of those sessions some of those supplier engagement sessions so whenever you I've always found whenever you go through some of these reviews and you're starting to do a selection process, you're going to get opposing views, right, from that from that group, that executive group that are going to select the product, you know, going to select that solution. But the key thing for me is you just got to listen. It's really, really important to listen to what those stakeholders are looking for. What what is the thing that they're not sure about? What is the thing that they haven't heard? What is the thing that they haven't seen demonstrated either in people capability or technological capability or whatever it may be that they really want to see, you know, see delivered to make sure they feel that actually it can do for them what they what they want it to do. And I just think it's really important, maybe people in the kind of roles that I fulfill, is listen to that stakeholder group and then articulate that back to the people you're working with. That, that might be a third party. It could be people within the project team. But if you can't listen to that and really articulate it back and, and allow them to hear the answer directly, then you, you're going to struggle a little bit because people will not always be fully engaged. And it's one thing certainly that I've tried to do. Hopefully I've done it reasonably successfully, but you've got to listen to your stakeholders and the people that really have set out that vision and work with your partners so they understand what it is that they're trying to do and allow them the time to provide that clarity back in an appropriate way. That's worked for me super successfully. Mm. And it's certainly worked for me uh, successfully in the most recent piece of work that I've done. And we, you know, in that particular, in that particular project, we had opposing views as we were going through like a selection cycle. But worked really hard, right, to bring all the right people to the table to provide that clarity and coming out the back of that we had you know a unanimous executive team making a decision about a solution which has been a great choice i think and and now some of those stakeholders were, that were not so confident at the very outset have turned into big advocates of change mm. they're really behind the opportunity that's now presented in front of them and if anything, they're they're pushing, you know, pushing pretty hard about seeing further further change coming into the business, and it's it's excellent. It's really really good. And, and now to mention all the things you've talked about in regards to the the things that program leaders have to consider, you know, the technology available. Um, obviously, you talked about influence, you know, to drive you know programs. How how do you sort of center? the customer and customer experience with all these conversations? How would you sort of draw it back to the customer? Um, so there's, there's a few ways. I mean, if you're thinking about how you're driving digital service, digital services right to, to customers, then I guess you can take a very broad look at what level of adoption 
as they're being with those services might level of uptake as they're being with those those services. That's that's a that's a pretty good pretty good starting point. People are consuming it and they're using it, then you know, you'd like to think actually this is a, a working solution, this is an easier solution for them. Uh, it's a convenient way for them to engage with with you as an organization. Um, and actually you want to make sure that you're getting some feedback. May may not always be quite so so easy. You, you can't make customers give you some feedback. Um, quite often they want to give you negative feedback more than the positive. <laughs> I, I know I've been guilty of that personally myself in the past. Uh, you know, and the, and the things that I've maybe consumed, but but that feedback route is a, is a very important one, and, and and making sure that you get you know to understand what the concerns are and and take that forward to drive the improvement, because maybe the next review will be super positive once you've listened to to that negative comment and you've reflected some change into your into your customer services then maybe next time around it'll be super positive as opposed to negative absolutely so i suppose all in all um exciting times in the utility sector lots of new technologies better adoption from customers um you know board members are bought into the need for technology um and driving you know better you know running of utility organizations so from your perspective the future is bright i reckon it's all that but it's also turbulent times as well yeah. i mean it's, gonna, it's clearly going to be particularly in that retail market across energy and water it's going to be a very, very challenging period so you know economic changes and um yeah and all the cost of living crisis is going to be very very challenging this year has been amazing right in terms of how many organizations retailers have really started to fail and, and having difficulties but they're all going to be driving digital and if you look at the ones that have spun up in the last five years they don't have all those legacy issues issues they don't have all those legacy uh technologies to manage you know they're they're starting from a very customer-centric digital first starting point and they're different to the way that maybe traditional organizations have have operated so I think it is very exciting, right, for the sector. It will be very challenging. I think the political climate is not going to change for some for some time. But but yeah, it's so it's it's good, and I'm looking forward to seeing what develops over the next, you know, three, four, five, maybe even 10, 15 years. Richard, we'll see. But when I last that long, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Nick, I think we've definitely covered, you know, a lot of ground and. You know, for me, it's great to hear about some of your lessons learned. It's great to hear about, you know, what are the things, you know, senior leaders are considering when it comes to data and the customer. It's also good to understand how you influence these leaders to be brave. You know, that's one of the themes I, I think here. It's, it's not about just the technology. It's being brave in your convictions to drive those, you know, drive those conversations eternally to effectively drive a better customer engagement but also a better you know cost to serve so there's a hell of a lot we've covered and uh, i wanted to say thank you very much for giving your your insights and um i'm sure we'll, we'll catch up soon and uh, thanks everyone for, for listening and and if there's any you know questions you have around what's been discussed today then feel free to drop either myself or nick a line and um hopefully we'll speak to you soon and uh, thanks for listening to a, another talking with series Cheers. Bye-bye.